Welcome back. It's another episode of Growth Lab's Weekly GL, where we're tackling today's issues and how they impact your business. This is hosted by me, Dan, and Stephen. We'll give you our raw take on what's important for you and your business. Let's get started. Welcome back. Another Weekly GL. Yep. We've got a few uh, few things we're going to talk about today. Hit on a few of the, the news pieces that we've uh, we've seen out there, uh, and then we're going to dive into uh, uh, transition. Uh, a lot of what we talked about over the last few uh, weeks and months has been, um, you know, the move from survive to thrive. Yep. And you got some modes within that. We've used that to kind of construct a few of the conversations, and we really want to focus on that transition uh, mindset. What's what's important for small businesses. Cool. Before that, uh, on the on the news front, yeah, on the news front. What do we what do we got, Dan? So the PPP uh, loan is back in the news on a few fronts. Uh, first one, banks are open for business again. Uh, yeah, for a while, companies were asking us forgiveness, 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 and uh, <laughs> we can prepare, right? Uh, which we did help. Although we're not big proponents yet of applying for forgiveness, we'd rather kind of wait and see and get more guidance, especially around. I guess two areas. One is potentially an automatic forgiveness for low value PVP loans. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second one is really around the tax treatment of the PVP loan. So I don't know. I, we're, we're kind of on the fence a little bit. When, we're, we're not in any major hurry for, uh, to, for, to apply for forgiveness because A, you couldn't do it until recently. Still, some lenders are not, not open for business on the forgiveness front. Um, and two, you know, really, that there's still some possibilities of changes happening within the whole program. Right. And the other PVP uh, loan news item is uh, the Treasury Department and Secret Service going after potential fraudulent PVP loans and kind of, unfortunately, unfortunately, other small businesses that um, probably are well deserving of this loan are kind of getting Get caught in the crossfire okay. some, to some extent. Cool. Yeah, so I mean, I think they're looking for them. They're looking for some red flag like types of uh, financial activities. activity, right? And, and uh, some of the some of that's getting uh, the the caught in the crossfire. Yeah, that's going to be um, there's going to be some fallout from that, right? So, yeah. anyways, uh, next piece of news. Is yeah, the one one other thing on the uh, PPP front was uh, some of those companies that originally gave back the money um, uh, went back right before the deadline of August eighth. And got a new PPP loan since they since there was money left over because there's still money in the in the fund right you right. can't access it anymore but there was a, there was at least one company that went back and got the, their ten million dollar loan that they'd originally given back right before the so they weren't double dipping they just decided no. they'd applied for one the first tranche gave it back because they got a bunch of heat like a lot of companies did and now that and then now that heat was gone and there was still money going to be left in the in the coffers they were like nice. well nobody else is going to use this so we might as well there's still money <laughs> left in the coffers and i wonder if uh if congress can kind of get their act together on the second tr- or Do third tranche that. of uh, that pvp money otherwise um you know a lot of these small businesses the money has run out mm-hmm. um and uh, or for those that haven't run out they're really trying to figure out how to maximize the uh, forgiveness yeah. Anyways, on to the second piece of news. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the uh, payroll tax deferment program from Trump? Trump pump. Trump pump. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we did talk about his uh, his four executive orders over the weekend. Uh, I think that was the weekend of August 15th. Um, and one of them was uh, uh, expanding the, uh, in the payroll tax deferment. Uh, the CARES Act had deferred the employer's portion of that 
um, and Trump is kind of asking an executive order to be able to uh, defer the employees portion of, mm -hmm. uh, of payroll taxes, which is a 6.2% 6, 6 uh, right, of the uh, payroll tax. Yeah, and that's a big chunk of money for an average employee making $35,000, $40,000 a year. Yeah. That's a good chunk of money. Unfortunately, you know, there are some strings attached and some unknowns and potential liabilities on the employer side. We're hearing all about it. Uh, Bloomberg actually put out an interesting article, I think it was yesterday, on uh, and it was distributed everywhere around some of the pitfalls. And think about these large companies like the Walmarts of the world, right? The Home Depots, where you have a lot of employees making that thirty to fifty thousand uh, dollar a year mm -hmm. wages. That six percent means a lot to them. It means a lot to the employees, right? And and um, the question is, can employees come to their employer and ask for this, or does the employer need to elect to participate, right? Because in the end, the employer is responsible to pay the tax. Uh, and if the employee is there, let's say up through December 25th and leaves, and then that becomes due and is not forgiven as, uh, as, as some in Washington want to try to do, um, then the employer owes that money, but the employee is no longer there to collect it from. And two things, right? Let's face it, um, you, need, you need an act of Congress to actually forgive the payroll tax deferment and you know actually forgive that, yeah. um, and that's probably not going to happen until the election. So yeah, and and, and the, the, and the this second thing is, I just want to add one last thing here is you are personally liable, right? You, the business owner, are actually personally liable for those payroll taxes. Um, so you can't just you can't just like not pay them. You cannot just like well, it's not my problem. Payroll taxes are actually the problem of this of the business owner. So it follows you. Yeah, and it, uh, you usually withhold that money and, and pay that money from the you know from the employee to the to the federal government. But if you're not withholding from the employee, and you're still owe the federal government, you're giving your employees an extra benefit, not not the federal government. Right, and uh, it's a liability that you're probably not tracking on your balance sheet. No, it's not your balance sheet. And so you kind of we talked a little bit about you know if. So and this, this, start, day, this starts September 1st, right? So we are not going to have clarity within six days on what, what this is going to look like. Yeah, so totally this, the possibility that starts September 1st, the possibility of employees coming to you, asking you for the ability to do this. So if they do, you know, that was what our conversation, what do you, what do, you do as a business owner? Right. And unfortunately, this particular situation really puts the onus back on the small business owner to communicate the why we are not going to be participating in this. Mm -hmm. Um, makes you the, so the bad guy. It, it makes you, yeah, right. It makes you the bad guy. You have the president saying, you know, payroll tax deferment. Uh, you have the fake media saying, you know, great, we, you know, 6% uh, relief. But now the small business owner has to make that decision whether or not they want to offer that because that is a, that is potentially a 6% boost in wages if that employee leaves or if it doesn't get forgiven. Yeah. And so it does put your it does put you in a uh, a very weird predicament, I would say. So stay away from that conversation to the extent possible. And if you do do it, uh, if you do um, take on this liability, make sure that you are managing your risk. I mean, August was all about risk in our, in our weekly jumps meetings, and you know, in this case, have some. If an employee asks you to do that and you do that, make sure you have some kind of agreement in place that says, um, hey, if you if this is due to the federal government. 
uh, I have the ability to come back to you personally, employee, whether or not you're employed with me at the time, and uh, get that money, get that money back from you. Yeah, and I would also say get legal counsel because yeah, we are. This is not. I, legal I am not. Sure, <laughs> I'm not sure any of this will ultimately hold up um, because, again, at the end of the day, you change administrations. Congress does not act on this. This is still a liability to the business owner, not to the business. It's oh, yes, it is a liability to the business, but it does follow the business owner. So if you right. shut your doors come December 31st and you transition out, this is still your liability. So um, you know what was interesting too? Tread, tread lightly on that one, I would say. I would totally tread lightly. And even the US Office of, uh, this came out of that Bloomberg article, even the US Office of Personnel Management Okay, this is like your HR department, yeah. the U.S. government. They are not. They don't even have any comment. They're not <laughs> responding. They don't have comment to this. So the, the total irony in this, um, ultimately, such crap, right? Um, more more um, more guidance is needed. More thoughtfulness. Um, otherwise, we're just you're just putting us in a really weird situation. So um, if anyone's listening to the RNC, of course, the convention. You know the world is the world is going to blow up if the Democrats uh, win. So um, not to get on a political uh, spin here, but uh, we're all going to lose our rights, and I guess we're also going to lose our rights to uh, getting this deferment forgiven. So, well, in fact, what about the RNC? I heard was uh, that uh, um, some of the producers of The Apprentice are, are uh, helping produce the RNC. So you're fired. <laughs> cool. All right. Next, um, anything else on the news front? So you know. One of the things that just kind of turns us to what we want to talk about is, you know, um, on the small business front, like what, what's, what, what's out there? You know, one, one uh, article said that 30% of businesses, small businesses in New York are not going to make it, right? And, you know, that highlights what we want to talk about today, which, which is, you know, we do need to move from that survive mindset to that thrive mindset. You know, PPP monies, all of that was about survival, right? Now, you know, we've been talking about planning what you've done, adjusting your budget, all of those things. Now you need to, to kind of, let's say, stand on your own two feet, pull yourself up, up by, by your boots. And I believe that survey came out of the New York Times uh, last week or two. It was weeks a, about a week and a half. A week yeah. and a half ago. I mean, that's an impressive number. Before we jump into sort of the theme of today, I mean, 30% may not come back. Uh, even if 10, even if 10% of those come back in a different embodiment, different entity, right? Um, that's still an impressive number, especially when you consider how many small businesses actually employ Americans. Mm -hmm. um, there is going to be a trickle down effect to that. You know, if you wanted to do back at the envelope, you know, 30% with 10 plus or minus, you know, 10, 10 employees per business, that's a big chunk. So, uh, and we all know that this is all mostly going to be service-based industries, hospitality, restaurants, bars, um, the rest of the office workers, high tech, we, we see the stock market, whether or not you want to read into the risk of that. Um, there's going to be one of the things we talked about yesterday in a webinar I did around the new norm is this notion of the haves and have nots. And 30% um, of small businesses that do not open up, that's a big chunk. So there's a lot of have nots. Definitely is. So now on to the topic of, of tra transitions. transitions. Right? Um, what does it mean to transition? What does it mean to do to, to have an exit as a small business owner? Um, and the way we're going to kind of structure our, our conversation for for you audiences is is kind of look at who the types of buyers are, um, and you know what we're really trying to help you contemplate navigate is you know as a as a business owner you know especially if this is your first business 
um, or you know, you've been in business for 30 years, you probably spent a ton of time thinking about your business, driving value to yourself, to your family, to your employees, uh, to your business, and with the hope that you can sell the business for, you know, let's say, 1x, 1x revenue, 2x revenue uh, someday. And it's just going to be that that transaction is just going to happen, right? Um, we want to dive into a little bit of what that transaction might look like. Because over the next four or five months, you know, we are probably going to see a lot more of that. Um, you know, 30% of New York businesses are not going to make it. Um, that's going to be, you know, across, across the country. Um, and, you know, whether you are on the selling end of that or on the buying end of that, you know, you need to be thinking about what types of buyers are, what they're going to be looking for, and how do you actually um, make a, a transaction happen? Yeah, I mean, back in 2008, 2009, um, much of those exit strategies and succession plans that were in the works uh, were put on pause. But a big reason for that was obviously the economic downturn, but there wasn't capital to make these transactions happen. Today, there's still a ton of like dry powder on the sidelines. Someone mentioned yesterday, $4 trillion in money market. I don't know if it's like notional or incremental, but that's an impressive amount of cash. Um, you know, companies like ours, we're on the hunt also, right? Um, because this time, even the have nots have an opportunity to get out. Um, so there's going to, I believe that there is going to be a, um, an influx in transactions in the small business side. It's not going to look it's not going to all look pretty. It's not going to all look sort of um, uh, down down the middle strike zone. Uh, it's going to have to be creative, and that's kind of some of the stuff we want to talk about. Is you know when you when you decide to go on this journey, uh, what are some of the cr creative sort of maneuvers, aka risk management, um, that you can deploy um, as you're beginning to think about this? Because this is a it's very hard in like 10 minutes to kind of talk about a plethora of different Yeah, this will not be your MBA programs, but it will, it will be. You could spend six months in an MBA class talking about M&A, um, acquisitions, succession planning, exit strategy. So with that note, um, we kind of look at this as like there's three buckets, right? So let's kind of talk about the three buckets that... Um, when you're when you're looking to sell or when you're looking to get get into this market, you know, there's kind of three types of buyers. Um, and uh, yes, I'm sure we're not being completely exhaustive here, but you got your financial buyers who are looking to to acquire something that's working or something they can improve. You got your strategic buyers; those are the ones that are looking to that are already in your business. They're looking to expand geographically. They're looking to acquire something that you have. Um, and that they can leverage directly. And then you have more of your, I call it succession planning or inside uh, type of uh, deal, right? A key employee or a key hire. So those are kind of the three buckets uh, that you know we wanna kind of talk about today. The first two, the financial buyer and the strategic buyer, a lot of what they're looking for um, will, be, will be similar. So we'll kind of bucket those together and look at, the, look at kind of the outside uh, buyer and the, call it the inside buyer, somebody that is in the business or that you bring into the business. Yeah, and in this market, especially in this five to fifteen million dollar range, you're not going to find the traditional financial buyer. And so I agree with you. The strategic buyer looks uh, and smells like a financial buyer, um, somebody who understands the business. Now, some of the attributes of a strategic buyer, it like you mentioned, it could be somebody in your business. So thinking about those business owners that. Um, maybe are half of your age and they own a, a business in your industry. Um, maybe you are in the service-based industry, same, same market segment, but you offer two different services. So a good example would be 
you know, structural engineering versus architectural engineering, right? Two very different market segments, but very similar with, with common customers. Um, geographic expansion is a really big one, especially today when you have the opportunity, you know, some of these, some of these businesses have been squeezed in their market and they don't really have like, they don't have an expense problem. They've taken the right steps during the last six months. And many of them have probably already been working on this for the last 12 months, 18 months. They don't have an expense problem. They have a revenue problem. Right. And so being able to bring two businesses together with different geographies or different products or services, but same overlapping customer, being able to also, you know, I don't, I always say don't put your eggs in this basket, but not looking for those synergies and, and sort of banking on the synergies, uh, but understanding the underlying dynamics of the P&L, the gross margin contribution, right? And ultimately, what is that um, mar uh, um, contribution margin to the bottom line with a combined business? On the third bucket, that's where we can have the most fun. Because, yeah, you know, there are many small businesses. You're in your 60s, maybe even you're in your 70s. You always thought you were going to sell. You were $5 million pre-COVID, and here you are in the middle of COVID. Revenues dropped by 50%. What do you do? Yeah, and the third bucket is that kind of in, inside uh, sale, right? Um, and you know, there's a lot that you can do there. Um, one of the one of the things that I think uh, the strategics, you know, get, if you're looking to sell to strategic, you know, what is it that you have that they're going to want? Whether that's geographic, geographic expansion, brand, talent, marketing, or just straight up, you know, revenue. You know, know what it is that you have that they that they want, um, and get to know that get to know that person. But yeah, yes, on on the kind of inside, like what does that look like? Because I think that. For small businesses, often kind of two two profiles, I'll say, often that is one of the best uh, ways to think about um, selling your business. Probably the most fulfilling uh, too, and, right? And the most fulfilling, like you got this, you got your baby, right? You want your baby to to to, to survive. Um, one, you know, sometimes in uh, small businesses, you in certain industries, maybe you've gotten too big that you really aren't like you're one of the bigger players, but you're you're not you're still a small business, right? Um, but you're not going to get acquired by you know. A regional firm or a national firm, um, so you're a little bit too big to just think about a direct sale. Um, so you got to find some other way to, to monetize what you've what you've built over the last 10, 20 No better years. way to do that than to look internally. And look internally, whether it's a one person, a few few key people, a few hires that you could bring in that you could slowly kind of transition the business to, right? Both they look for somebody that's the other the other side is it, you are small, and you know it could be a one even a one person shop that you. You know, slowly over a course of five, four or five years, 10 years, if you have a long time horizon, transition both the management, the operations and the ownership to this, uh, this new individual who is your, you know, you are their mentor, right? Right. Now, the, on the flip side is also, you know, when you hear about succession planning, you always think about, you know, mom and dad selling to the kids, the grandkids and so on. So it doesn't have to be that way. Um, sometimes the best buyers are your internal, your key employees. But there's also another great path to transitioning and solidifying an exit strategy. And that could also be through finding a new key employee that does not work for you, but works in the industry and has essentially, you know, think about that 30, 40 year old who is in that, um, you know, they're beyond that inflection point in their career. Uh, they probably own certain components, uh, strategic components of the business that they're working for but they don't have a clear path to ownership and they've always had the desire to be an entrepreneur, rockstar salesperson, 
uh, a total rock star plant manager. Someone, you know, I'm not, we're not talking like uh, low supporting level type of employees. We're talking like key contributors, right? key contributors. What a great way to bring on a new employee in their 40s looking for the next 20 years of their career. And you're sitting there like, boy, I'm 65. I want nothing but to get out of this thing after by 70. It's a great way to, because that employee is probably going to cost you money. And right now in the middle of COVID, revenue is shrinking, you know, cash is tight. Um, it's a great way to, to attract new talent and potentially attracting your new successor. And you can structure these transactions in such a way where you're managing risk. In, in other words, you're managing the downside. You're managing your purchase price, you know, actually achieving the purchase price managing that cash that you're going to get from the deal and the success of the deal, the ultimate success of the deal. Um, I love that idea because there are, <clears throat> there are a lot of rock star key contributors in businesses that ne will never have a chance to step into that CEO's shoes for whatever reason. It could be a family business, the business is too big and probably has to flip over to a larger consolidated type of business. But I think it's a great way to de-risk your succession planning and more importantly, it funds your retirement, right? So yeah, gives you gives you some uh, some tail, right? Gives you a very long tail, very long tail. And I, and by the way, as a business owner, I would feel because it comes back down to risk, and the risk here is that long tail. Do I feel more comfortable, confident that I'm going to actually realize the cash that I'm anticipating? over a three to five year period with somebody who I have no real life connection with or somebody whose internal employee has been with me for 15 years or this potential like really key hire that I hung out with for five yeah. years. Who are you going to feel, you know, shotgun wedding? Where are you gonna get the most value, right? Um, both in terms of like satisfaction, right? Mm -hmm. But satisfaction doesn't fund retirement, um, you know, and, and actual, you know, dollars, right? The, the, it gets kind of down to some deal structure, which I think would be fun to talk a little bit about some, some key pieces of deal structure. Because um, yes, you have a, a, an idea in your head that my business is worth 2X revenue or others in my business have sold for 2X revenue. That's the, that's the highlight, right? Um, but how's the deal structure, right? There's only a certain amount that's uh, paid, no cash paid up front, front right? Uh, sometimes it's zero, right? Uh, and it's all dependent on performance over time, right? So you could have a, a, a 2X revenue, or let's just say you're a million dollar business, 1X revenue, you got a million dollar sale price, cool, right? But maybe you see zero of that up front, maybe you see 100,000 up front, and it only is over time that you're gonna see that actually flow in from that, from that strategic buyer. And that strategic buyer is gonna limit their own risk, right? If your business tanks, because it was all dependent on you as a business owner, they're going to have they're going to delay payment or call back. They're going to have pieces in place where they, they they don't have to pay you the rest of that million dollars, right? So, you could be stuck with you know having nothing to come back to, no business, and only a hundred thousand dollars in your bank account from all of that all of that. And work. maybe a job for three years or, or and a job else. Versus that internal person, you know that person is going. You do have a lot of trust. There's built built relationship, right. and that person is not going to leave you high and dry. Um, even if the business did tank, A, they're going to be responsible for it. And B, you know, they're going to feel some responsibility to you to, to help you bring you back into that business, help get boosted back up, do something to make sure that they thrive and that you're 
able to help them. Now, this is obviously uh, our kickoff to our September, our series in uh, September, which is going to be around the transitioning, succession planning. We will have a session more focused on tax and tax issues that you should be thinking about. Mm -hmm. But we really want to stay focused more on the um, strategy behind a deal, right? Everything from your P&L, your structuring, your P&L, how to look at your income statement, how to think about your balance sheet, how your balance sheet impacts your purchase price, what to do about working capital, what to do about cash, and then more importantly, financing, seller financing versus outside financing, or is it a joint venture where you have options along the way? So this is a, this is a fun topic personally, but the problem here is, of course, you could spend the next six months talking about this product, um, this process, yes. right? But it's a, it is a journey. And um, it's important right now because I think there, there will be more of this happening. Um, and so what we will want to be talking about over, over the course of September is, um, you know, what do you need to do today if the, you need to transition in the next three months? And also, you know, what are you going to do if, you know, you, you do have a longer time horizon. You don't need to think about this for the next four or five years. And I, the, I, I'm going to end it with this. Be in the driver's seat. Don't let the banks be in the driver's seat. Don't have the banks send in workout officers and chief restructuring officers to be in your driver's seat. What you end up finding out is the assets that are on your on your factory floor. The value of those assets don't aren't actually reflected properly on your balance sheet. Um, in times like this, where you have more volatility, pricing is off. Uh, risk is viewed very differently by all different parties, and therefore pricing is going to look different. So, be in the driver's seat. This is the, this is an important time, and the conversations I'm having with customers right now that are in these situations that really do require a little bit of extra love and restructuring, be in the driver's seat, approach your stakeholders, whether they're lenders or private equity or venture back or VCs, you know, or even employees and vendors, you know, be in the driver's seat, having open and honest communications and thinking about, you know, what's in their best interest. What are they thinking about? Um, so this is a great topic. And uh, one that you know I've spent many years in. And uh, if you guys, if anybody has questions in particular that you want us to hit on yeah. over the course of, of September, um, let us know. Um, we will be sure to uh, answer any and all questions that uh, that come our way. But uh, between uh, the uh, the weekly GL here on Wednesdays and Thursdays uh, hits the podcast, and uh, the the uh, weekly jump on Mondays, we'll be uh, covering transition M and A, uh, and a lot of other fun stuff. Great. All right. Thanks, Steve. Okay, so that's a wrap. Always love talking shop, Steve. Thanks, Dan. Join us next week. Check us out at growthlabfinancial.com or text weeklygl to 833-759-0277.